1: Forget those Sunday night blues for a second with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
0: Hello and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Today I want to share with you what I think are the top seven saddest romantic movies of all time. When I look towards love stories, I just gravitate towards the sad ones. I want to share ones with you that if you also like sad movies or you're just looking for a movie to make you feel right now, I got you covered in the movie review We'll be talking about an independent film called Sometimes I Think About Dying. You can see there's a theme to this episode. And in the trailer park, our first look at the prequel of A Quiet Place, A Quiet Place Day One. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being subscribed. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now, let's talk movies. In
1: a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast.
0: If you're listening on release day or release week, we are right around Valentine's Day time, which I thought was an appropriate time to put out an episode about romantic movies. Or if you're listening weeks, months from now, you'll still enjoy this episode because I want to share with you Movies that will make you feel and they just happen to be in the theme of romance. I had a period in my life where I loved romantic movies. This period in my life coincided with a time where I was very, very lonely. Throughout the 2010s, I had nothing going on for me romantically. And when I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. No prospects, no anything. The 2010s in some, or at least the early 2010s, Oh man, there were some of my dark days, specifically the early 2010s from about 2010 to 2013 were tough for me on a physical and mental health level. I was the worst I had ever been in both of those capacities because physically my body was, I wasn't taking care of it. I was overweight. I was eating terribly. I was drinking booze. I was partying. And when I say partying, it doesn't really mean like going out and having fun. I was just in my apartment with a few select friends just drinking beer and eating bad food, which led to me being at the highest weight I'd ever been, and I was just unhealthy and didn't feel comfortable in my skin. But also, I had no romantic relationships, no prospects, because I felt so bad about myself, you know, the way that I looked and the way that I felt like people perceived me that I didn't even try dating. So I would watch movies where the main character was also going through sadness, trying to find love. And I would say that romance movies, this may surprise you, they were the ones that I really seeked out. Now, Marvel, DC were in its heyday around this time, so those were still the movies I loved. But I think the movies I didn't tell people that I really enjoyed during this time was romance movies. And it was because I wanted to escape through movies, and I dreamt about having a relationship and seeing other people Made me feel, even though they were on screen, gave me hope. But I also felt like I lived through them a little bit. And that is also what I love about movies. They're like dreams that you remember. And watching a good movie about romance and having it give you that feeling of love that we all search for in this life. And if you found love in this life, kudos to you. Hats off, all the cliche things that people say. Because it is so hard to find love and stay in love. So I think I was watching these movies thinking that I would find like a blueprint in here. I literally would watch movies to try to learn things of how to approach women, how to talk to women, how to be in a relationship. I went to movies for a lot of this type of advice because my parents didn't really give me advice as far as dating. My brother was there for me, but he was also kind of like me and we didn't really have a whole lot of luck. So... He gave me what advice he could, but whether it came down to talking to girls or just learning how to navigate life and career, I would watch a lot of movies and gain what I would call experience from that, what I would call some kind of just motivational advice through movies and through characters. So I just wanted to let you know what I was going through during this time where I was my most influential when it came to romance movies, which is going to reflect a lot on this list. I think the romance movies I lean towards now are a lot different because I've been married now for almost three years, and I just have this happiness, and I'm so removed from that sadness I had when I was single. And the movies that Kelsey has exposed me to are rom-coms, which, coincidentally, I really didn't enjoy before her Because I didn't really have that vision of love that they sell in rom-coms of the two people meeting. Are they going to be together? And then it's all happily ever after in every single rom-com. It ends on a good note, but they never tell you what happens happily ever after. But now those are growing on me. I can enjoy them. The last one we watched in theaters, Anyone But You, actually really enjoyed that one. So if I made an episode like this now with current emotions, it'd probably be different. So I had to go revisit this list and think about these movies and how I was feeling at the time, because I still would consider these my favorite movies, even though I don't have those same emotions and those same things going on in my life. There's just something nostalgic about this feeling. And I know that people go through harder things when trying to find love. So if you're single or maybe separated, divorced, or just in a rough patch in your relationship, maybe you can watch a movie like this and feel a little bit of comfort. Because a movie that hits you in the feels can feel so comforting. There are some emotions that we can't really talk to people about. We can go to therapy. We can talk to friends and family But sometimes you just have to be alone in something and figure it out for yourself. And I feel like watching a movie like this that is emotional, that does have some romance, can really help you work through something unlike anything else really can. A good movie, maybe a good sad song in a movie, all those things combined together can help you get through things. So I wanted to share this list with you. Maybe you're going through something like that or maybe you just haven't heard of these movies or maybe you're just like watching an emotional movie around Valentine's Day, this is here for you too. So let's get right into the list. At number seven, I have Up in the Air from 2009. Now, this movie is marketed as a comedy romance movie, but if you look at the themes, what George Clooney's character is going through in Up in the Air, this is the saddest movie ever. And the more I think about... Why this movie hit me so hard is because I feel like George Clooney's character would have been me if I wouldn't have found Kelsey, and the reason I found Kelsey was because I kind of let go of things, and I realized that I needed to find somebody to share the things in my life that were happening that were awesome, because when you're single late into your 20s, almost 30s, and you start having... Any kind of success in your career or just experiencing life, you want to share it with somebody. And I had realized that I had lost all the weight. I had moved to a new city, had my dream job, was traveling the world at the time. I was on tour with Bobby, opening up for his shows, and I was doing things that I never thought I was going to do. But then I would come home and I would feel nothing. I would feel emptiness. I would feel lonely. So I was having all these things go right in my life, but not having anybody to share it with almost didn't make any of those things feel worth it. Like, why did I work so hard for this? And even now I have to pull myself back from working so much and make time to spend just husband and wife time and realize that this is the most important thing to me. And looking at George Clooney's character in this movie, who lives out of his suitcase, traveling around the country, firing people, which is a great premise for a movie. And he is so obsessed with the travel and racking up airline miles and trying to reach this milestone of being one of the only people to travel as much as he has. And as he's going around traveling the world, realizing that he has nobody to go back home to, he lives in a small little apartment where He doesn't really live there because he's on the road so much. And the tagline of this movie says it all. That it's a story of a man ready to make a connection. The play on, you know, the connecting playing, that's so cheeky. So there are elements of this movie that are comedic. But at the core of it, it's just so sad to see somebody just going through life and not having anybody to share it with. And there's a moment in this movie where George Clooney gives advice to somebody going through something and I feel like it kind of hits him of like oh man I'm kind of realizing that I don't really have a whole lot to show for myself should I really be the one giving this advice but ever since the first time I saw this movie this quote about how you spend your life and finding people worthy of your time to share it with ever since I heard this quote it has stayed with me if you think about it
1: your favorite memories the most important moments in your life Were you alone? Hmm. No, I guess not. Life's better with company.
0: Everybody needs a co-pilot. That was a nice touch. Thanks. So that has always stayed with me. Your favorite memories. They're not the ones where you're alone. So for me, it would have been, were my favorite memories going to be when I was traveling around, just working all the time, doing things? No. It was the times where I actually got to enjoy things with other people. So it was opening myself up allowing myself to be vulnerable, allowing myself to put in the time to find a relationship like that and nurture it and do the things required, not just like, ah, I just want to plug and play and there you go, I just get a girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. Like it's it's not that easy. You got to put in the time, you got to put in the work. But it was realizing that it wasn't just gonna be handed to me as well. Later down the line, it was me realizing I did not wanna end up like George Clooney's character and I wanted to put in the time to find a real relationship. So that movie is at number seven. At number six is a recent addition. A movie called Spoiler Alert, which we have reviewed here on the podcast, it came out back in 2022, and I feel is an understated film. It is based on a true story. It is adapted from a memoir that came out in 2017 from this TV writer, and I love that title because it implies that the love interest in this movie is going to die. So what this movie is about, Jim Parsons' character's name is Michael, and he finds the guy of his dreams and thinks... This is the person I'm going to grow old with. And he eventually loses his partner to cancer. And you already know that going into this movie. The movie is called Spoiler Alert. It's telling you you're going to be sad by watching this movie. But it never really forces you to be sad. And I think that is the struggle I have with sad films going into them. Because when somebody tells me this movie is going to make you cry, this movie is going to make you emotional, I'm kind of guarded going into it. And I'm like, I'm going to fight it. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to get emotional. And this one kind of disarms you by telling you on the front end that there's a spoiler alert. He's going to die in the movie. But even though you know that, it doesn't make it any less sad because through their relationship, through all the things you go through and seeing the ups and downs of being with somebody and seeing the person you love battle cancer, there are just so many emotions that you go through And the fact that it is based on a true story, there's just so many more levels than just knowing that the person is going to die doesn't take away at all from this movie. It was also a film that came out at the end of 2022. I felt like it didn't really get the attention it deserved because Jim Parsons is phenomenal in this movie. And he is an actor that you look at and for the most part, you just associate him with Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. But I feel like he's been very selective of the movies he has taken on. And at no point in this movie did I expect him to say, Bazinga! He was so good in it. So at number six, I have Spoiler Alert. At number five on my list, I'm going to put another recent addition, A movie that is nominated right now for Best Picture. I don't think it's going to win because of the caliber of the movies I think are above it. With Barbie and Oppenheimer both being in this category, I would love for it to win. But the movie is called Past Lives. And this isn't really your traditional romance movie. And what I like about this movie and why I chose to include it is because I feel like romantic movies don't always have to be a sexual thing. Like it doesn't have to be two people hooking up and that is romance. I feel like you can also romanticize the idea of friendship. And what this movie is about is two deeply connected childhood friends who they meet growing up in South Korea The female character ends up moving out to the United States and the entire movie has to deal with destiny, love, and how all the little choices you make end up determining what your life is going to be like. So it's not your traditional love story and that is why I love it. That's why I chose to include it because in life, things don't really work out how they do in a movie. Love is not linear. It goes in all different types of ways. Think about your relationships and maybe people that came into your life early on and then later came back into your life down the line, like, oh yeah, you reconnect. That wouldn't really work in a movie in a traditional sense of you normally watch a movie. It's some people meeting, they go on a date. Another thing happens, another thing happens. You find out, do they end up together or not? That's usually how a romance movie breaks down. But in this movie, I feel like it really shows what... Just people are like in real life of not everything happens A to B, B to C. Your life goes in all different directions based on all the choices you make. In this case, somebody moving to an entirely different country. And it's kind of the invisible string theory of were you always meant to end up with a person? Does everything happen for a reason? Is there destiny? Is there love at first sight? So it kind of tackles all of those things inside of one movie. But again, I don't believe that a romantic movie always just has to be sexual. You can love a friend. You can love a neighbor and still have what would be described as a romantic type relationship because I just view romance as passion. And this movie has passion. So don't go into this movie thinking that it's gonna feel like La La Land, but it's a very just realistic approach to a love story. So at number five, I have Past Lives. At number four is a movie I brought up in last week's episode, and for the longest time was the movie I just identified with. And I think it's because I had a strong connection to Jim Carrey's character in this film, who is a guy just going through this really weird time, and I can explain the entire sentiment of my existence in this one line that he says At the beginning of the movie.
1: Why do I fall in love with every woman I see who shows me the least bit of attention?
0: So in that scene, he is sitting, writing in his journal. And he sees Kate Winslet's character across from him. And she really just gives him a look. And from that look, like he said, he immediately falls in love with her. That was me. All in my teenage years. All in my 20s. Any girl that talked to me. I was immediately in love with if they were single. Like, that is how I was because I was so lonely and because, well, I was desperate and I had never heard anybody else talk about that. Of falling in love that quickly and immediately upon meeting somebody that you think, hey, there could be something here. I think she likes me. We're going to end up dating. We're going to get married. We're going to move here out into the country. And you go through all these things in your head And all this person has said was, hello. Maybe you held the door open for them and they were just being courteous, saying thank you. And you think, this woman is about to be my wife. I found her walking into the Piggly Wiggly. That is how I was. Not above shopping at Piggly Wiggly. I loved it. You have great honey buns. But anyway, that is how I felt. And that was the tone that this movie started out with. And the entire movie is about their relationship, and how they both decided to erase each other from their memories. So the idea is, if you had such a bad relationship and had the ability to erase somebody from your, from your mind, would you do it? That is what they did. But yet in this scene, you find that they still end up encountering. So are you doomed to repeat that entire relationship all over again? Then how do you feel about it? The movie feels so intimate and like it's an indie movie. But then you have Jim Carrey, who is one of the biggest movie stars of all time. Kate Winslet, who is also one of the biggest movie stars of all time. And they are perfect together. Their chemistry is beautiful in a way that you don't really realize how great their chemistry is. Because you just view these two characters as an iconic couple. And I don't really have to question any emotions or any actions between an iconic couple because this movie is set in history. That is how it is. I would change nothing about it. And then you have kind of a B story with the other characters involved in this movie and another weird love thing. So the movie explores a lot of different types of romance, but they are all sad because this movie will make you feel all the things, but you never really watch any scene in particular feel happy. That is why I included it on this list at number four. At number three was another movie in the prime of me being lonely in 2013. The movie is called About Time. You have Rachel McAdams, who has been in so many great romance movies. I mean, The Notebook, I don't really feel like that enters this list, but arguably one of the greatest romance movies of all time. She has had A great run in this type of movie, but hands down, this one is my favorite because not only is it sad, but it also has a little bit of fantasy because this movie is about a guy who learns that all the men in his family have the ability to travel through time. So what does he use it for? He uses it to fall in love with Rachel McAdams and any little thing that goes wrong, well, doesn't really matter because I can travel through time and I can fix it all. It's kind of like Click with Adam Sandler, but not as gaggy, not as comedic, a lot more of the consequences that you feel later in Click. But what would actually happen if you had this ability to travel through time and realizing that it's not going to fix everything just because you can go back and redo things doesn't mean that some things aren't meant to happen and coming to grips with some things you really just can't change. But I really love the chemistry between Rachel McAdams and Donald Gleason in this film. And you feel that chemistry from the very first time they meet on screen. Would it be very wrong if I asked you for your number? No. Just in case I ever, you know, had to call you about
1: stuff. Mm. Okay.
0: <laughs> I thought this phone was old, but suddenly it's my most valuable possession. You really like me? What a line. You put a girl's phone number in, and you're like, ah, suddenly this phone is the most important thing in the world. I should have stolen that line. But I don't want to reveal all the sad things that happened in this movie. I will say, this was the movie I would recommend for the longest time to anybody wanting to watch a movie to make you cry. I think also in the early 2010s, even though I wasn't in the best mental state, I had a real hard time crying, and this was the movie that cracked me. So, aside from it being a romantic movie, take Valentine's Day completely out of this episode. If you just want a movie to make you cry, I think About Time could be that one for you. So, that is why I put this one at number three. We made it now to number two, and I wanted to include a classic on here. And when I think about classic, romantic, sad movies, my mind immediately goes to the OG from James Cameron Titanic, Kate Winslet again making an appearance on this list with a young, handsome Leonardo DiCaprio. And this movie always makes me feel sad because much like spoiler alert, going into this movie, you knew ultimately what was going to happen because it's one of the most talked about things in history, the Titanic sinking. We all knew that going into this movie. But it did not make it any less sad knowing what happens and the fate of our characters and the fate of a lot of people on this boat. Every time I watch this movie, I think it gets sadder and sadder. Maybe it's because as I grow older, learn more about love, I just feel these things a lot more. I'm also a lot more aware of the impact of scores in movies. And I think Titanic does not get enough credit for how perfect the score in this movie is. Not only the Celine Dion song, but just every other part in this movie where something emotional is happening. You just have all these sad strings being plucked that elevates every single emotion in this film. Not only that, but the scale of this movie, how big it looks, and you think of how much they went through and how much money they spent to make it look as good as it does... And also the fact that it holds up so well because a lot of these were practical effects. So I always feel like and tell you that those aged the best. I feel like Titanic will continue to be a classic because there's not a whole lot of CGI. And James Cameron was so specific on the details of what to include in this film he didn't cast actors that were, I think, above five foot eight, maybe 5'9", because he wanted all the other elements to look bigger. And then you have Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio at the core of it. And it's just so sad that they don't end up together. And again, this movie is over 20 years old, so not a spoiler and one of the most talked about endings of all time. But one survives. One does not. And I don't even think of that moment being the saddest in this film. The moment that actually gets me more is whenever Rose chooses to leave the lifeboat to go back with Jack. Knowing that she may not survive, but she doesn't care because she wants to be with the person that she loves.
1: Rose, ah, so stupid. Why'd you do that, huh? You're so stupid, Rose. Why did you do that? Why? Why? I jump
0: right. right. that one gets me every time man and this was also at a time where we weren't complaining about long run time because titanic is three hours and 15 minutes and maybe it's because you know there was no Twitter or message boards back then that no one had an avenue to complain to about long run times. But when a movie is great, you don't think about the run time, you think about the emotion it makes you feel. So at number two, saddest romance movies, I have Titanic. At number one is a movie from 2013, directed by Spike Jones. The movie is her. It is set in a not so distant future, it has one of my favorite actors, Joaquin Phoenix. He plays a character named Theodore who was a lonely writer. He is navigating the sadness after going through a divorce where he had met his soulmate, thought he was going to spend forever with this person. And now it goes back to his life of writing greeting cards and romance cards for other people where he is forced to write about love when he is feeling just this eternal sadness. So he's living in this apartment by himself. Again, we're in the not-so-distant future, so he has all these cool gadgets to play with. There's this really fun video game that I wish they would make now. And maybe with the new Apple Vision Pro, I don't think we're too far away from having a video game like this. And also the fact that this movie really predicted a lot of what the world is now. Back then, seems seemed so crazy at the idea of somebody falling in love with their operating system, but now with the prevalence of AI. And... You have people falling in love now with AI. There's like a supermodel AI figure racking in money on dudes like Theodore now in 2024. And they aren't even real. So now this could actually happen. You could just make a documentary on this. Get the cameras out now. Let's go over and talk to some of these guys. But that is what happens. He falls in love with his operating system. He has a really cool looking phone. It's like this red phone that essentially has Siri on it and it... First, it just has suggestions for his calendar, it helps him navigate his email, and then they just start talking, gets a little more intimate, at times, gets a little weird and uncomfortable for the viewer, but then you kind of forget about that because of the relationship that develops, and you have Scarlett Johansson voicing this character, Samantha, who does an incredible job for somebody who was just in a recording booth, and I think she also did her lines in a record amount of time, but just shows you how great of an actor Scarlett Johansson is that I found it so believable. I was never taken out of this movie thinking, oh, it's just Joaquin Phoenix looking up at nothing and reacting to absolutely emptiness. But at the core of this movie, it is just so sad because you are realizing how much grief that Theodore is going through this scene in particular. Sometimes... I think I've felt everything I'm ever going to feel. And from here on out, I'm not going to feel anything new.
1: I know for a fact that is not true. I mean, at least your feelings are real.
0: Because you have Theodore feeling the sadness, but also Samantha knowing that she is not a real thing, that even though... She knows what emotions are. She can't feel them. She can't feel anything. So how this plays out with both of them and all the emotions that come in the third act of this movie, ugh. I rewatch it at least one time a year and it still gets me. It's also just an incredibly good-looking film. It has that right blend of sci-fi and romance, much like About Time did. But I love that this movie just feels red to me. And everything from the costume design to the backgrounds through the way the cinematography just plays off it. It just feels so warm. It feels so comforting and feels so sad at the same time. Another movie that has remained on my top 10 favorite movies of all time list for now over a decade since it came out in 2013. And I will say the movie is not for everybody because I feel like some have a hard time getting over that weirdness of him being in love with this operating system, and you don't really want to watch something that makes you feel uncomfortable, and I get that. But I think if there were any time to revisit this movie, it would be now. Because I think the idea of it, like I mentioned, isn't that absurd, isn't that bizarre now that we are living in a more futuristic world? where people are using chat GPT to find their soulmates. And I think we are scared of AI because we really don't know how much it's actually a part of our lives. We just think of it as being this robotic force that could take over when really a lot of the things we do in life have been quote unquote AI for a very long time. Now that it just has a name and that people can have an opinion on it one way or another, it kind of freaks us out a little bit. So you thought about watching this movie in the past or maybe you have seen it started it i think this is also a movie that some would start and think ah this isn't for me and not watch it if you do have a little bit of an open mind now when it comes to ai highly encourage you to revisit this movie that is the list we'll come back and talk about sometimes i think about dying the movie not me and then we'll take a look at the new quiet place movie
1: Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best, don't miss, in The Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital. Rated R.
2: Whether you're a savvy spender, maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking
1: So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
0: Let's get into it now. A spoiler-free movie review. Today we're talking about Sometimes I Think About Dying. I love that title. I like looking at a poster and immediately getting an emotion. And that title really says it all about what this movie is about. You have Daisy Ridley, who I love. You probably know her as Rey from the Star Wars movies. And despite what you read online from nerds who look like me, but have a much different opinion on those movies, because I love Daisy Ridley in those movies. They really made me love Star Wars, which if you see what anybody says about those movies, they ruined them. I think those movies are great. And a lot of that is due to her performance in those films. So I was excited to see her outside of a Star Wars movie, because she has done other movies since then, but she's kind of been in this sci-fi action genre that, obviously, after being in Star Wars, she naturally be cast in. But I wanted to see the more dramatic side of her. And in this movie, she plays a character named Fran. She's this very socially awkward, depressed woman working at this small office in Oregon. And even though she's been working at this place for so long... She has a hard time bonding with her coworkers, but then comes the day where somebody who has been working in the office for a long time retires and a new guy comes in and they start to form a relationship. They go out on a date and the entire movie is her trying to pursue a friendship, maybe a little bit of a romance, but really having a hard time in doing so because throughout the entire film, she is well doing what the title says, thinking about dying. Now, I found this movie to be very, very personal because I saw a lot of myself in Fran's character. The socially awkward part of it, I thought was illustrated so beautifully. And how the movie does it is, it has a very slow pace to it, but it's slow paced on purpose. When you're socially awkward, it is hard for you to have conversations with people. I can sit here right now in this studio and have a conversation with you looking into this camera, talking into this microphone. But if you took me out of this situation and put me in a room with five people, maybe five co-workers, I would have a hard time. At work, I am known as the quiet person. I've had that title ever since I was in school, and it's not something I take pride in. I would love to walk into a room and immediately own it and be the center of attention, but that has just never been me. And that is exactly what I saw in Fran's character, because throughout this film, She is longing for that. She is trying to connect with people and wants to, like, goes out of her way to do so. But she just doesn't have the tools to communicate. And sometimes the things she says don't come across the way that she intended them to. So even though she's not a bad person whatsoever, she just lacks those skills. And I found that completely like, oh, that is me. That is me to a T. And then you have the eternal sadness that she is facing, and hiding from other people, which is something that, I mean, I've talked about in this episode of how much depression and anxiety has been a part of my life and going to therapy has really helped me with that, but I really felt like the film did a great job of showing what that feels like without it feeling inherently sad, because I won't say that this is a depressing movie even though it has a super depressing title and our character is obviously going through something here. But there are moments of levity that bring life to the situation, and it's not trying to present it of, here's just this sad girl doing all these sad things. It is showing it in such a realistic way that found it very enjoyable to me. But again, it has that slow pace that really puts you in the perspective and in the shoes of Fran. While watching this, you may think, okay, move it on a little bit. But if you let yourself live in that, you realize this is how this person is feeling. Those big, long, awkward pauses are the things that I have built my entire life on. I am just trying to fill those big, long, awkward pauses when talking to people. And that is what this movie shows. It also just looks fantastic. The movie was shot in a small town in Oregon called Astoria where other movies like The Goonies, Kindergarten Cop were filmed just to name a couple. But it also just gives it this feeling of it being small, isolated, and I just love how the imagery really played a part into the look and feel of this movie. And then you have the score underneath it all, which is a lot more cheerful. And that combined with the office life situations that I feel like a lot of people will relate to. I've never had a traditional office life scenario. My workplace is very chaotic and there are a lot of different personalities there that we've never had a traditional relationship of like communicating over email and Slack. But those scenes got a lot of laughs in our theaters, which we did watch this in a sold out theater with the director and editor there. So we'll get into an interesting part that almost got me into some trouble during the Q&A. But before I get to that part, I just want to say that that this is a movie that it might not have all the bells and whistles. There's not this big elaborate thing you learn by watching this movie. It is kind of just a slice of life movie and a peek into somebody's world that lives like this. And you will watch it and either think, oh, I know somebody in my life who is kind of like Fran. Maybe I should talk to them and approach them a little bit differently now that I know what it's like to be someone like that. Or you'll be like me and think, that is me. I'm glad somebody made a movie that shows what it's like to be socially awkward, a quiet person, and also have some mental health issues. But now we'll get into the controversy that happened. So the director and the editor were present at this screening. We watched it at our favorite local movie theater called the Bell Court here in Nashville. Again, we bring it up all the time. If you ever visit Nashville, you have to go see a movie at the Bell Court because they do events like this where the director who made the movie is there and you can ask them questions after the screening. And me, naturally, I had to get in a question. What usually happens is there'll be somebody hosting the Q&A, they'll ask the big questions, and then they'll go around the theater, which this was sold out. There was 300 people there, a lot of people trying to get in questions. Luckily, I got in the last question. She told me, is your question quick? Because they were running out of time, they had to close the theater. I was like, yes, I will make it quick. Because I really wanted to know a component about the ending of this movie. And I can't even show you the full clip because... This was really the only situation where I could ask this question because everybody in the room had already watched the movie, the director was there, so it was free game to talk about endings because I wasn't spoiling anything. We all just experienced together and out of everybody who asked the question, no one really brought up the ending so i have a clip of it because i hit record on my phone wanted to share it with you here is me just asking the question but i won't give away any spoilers i think what i love about movies is that people can interpret them in different ways and the thing i got from the ending was i'll cut it off right there but immediately here is the reaction in the room the reaction from the director and I had to trim down her answer a little bit because I didn't want to give away the details. But here is the reaction to my question. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, was asked if this is how you feel,
2: I will not say another <laughs> <word>. <laughs> um.
0: And then it ends a little bit awkwardly. I thought the question was fair game. I wasn't poking criticism at the movie, I just really wanted to know one stylistic approach to how this movie ended and what it means to the story. And the thing was, I almost felt like I got in trouble in that clip. If you listen to it back again, she says that no one's asked this question before, and then I had to bleep the expletive that she said in responding to my question, which wasn't even a full answer that I was looking for, but gave me at least closure on the subject. Just that immediate, like, ooh, like everybody in the room, just reacting to that, I was not expecting for it to be such a maybe controversial question. And then just listen to her tone. If
2: this is how you feel, I will not say another word.
0: (laughs) I will not say another blinking word. I felt like when you ask a question in class and the teacher gets upset with you, that is exactly how I felt in that situation. But I had to know. But I found that Q&A was very insightful to the filmmaking process on an independent level. I think Rachel Lambert has a great vision as a director. She got her start here making movies in Nashville. And after watching this film, I'm curious to dive into the other movies she has done and to see what she has coming out next. I also love that they got to talk about her relationship with the editor and what an editor actually does in a movie, which I've talked about before, how I feel like that's an understated position as well and they describe their relationship of her essentially having this big vision going through the entire movie, and him as an editor will tell her the points that they are missing. So say if they have a transition from the workplace to a bar, he has to look in his mind like this is what we need to film to get there so it's like filling in all the gaps i thought that was a fascinating process they described it as essentially the editor is the therapist and the director is the patient in the chair so i don't think this movie is for everybody but if you like darker comedies with a heavy hand on the drama i think you will enjoy it and also if like me you're a big fan of daisy ridley and want to see her outside of playing the character ray is fantastic in this. I give this movie four out of five slices of pie.
1: Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors in the land of saints and sinners from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital rated R.
2: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for and entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
1: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at
0: letsmakeaplan.org.
1: It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park.
0: The first A Quiet Place movie was A Breath of Fresh Hair in the horror suspense genre. After that, followed it up with A Quiet Place Part 2. Both of those movies were directed by John Krasinski. But now we are getting a look at the prequel coming out on June 28th. It's called A Quiet Place Day 1. So in all those other movies, if you haven't seen them, I will not ruin them for you. But there are these big mysterious monsters that you really don't know a whole lot about why they are here, killing people. All you really know is that they react to sound. So in order for all the humans to remain undetected, they have to be as quiet as possible. They learn sign language. They find ways to get around without making a whole lot of noise. And what that creates is a movie that is so quiet. I remember the experience I had going to watch the first one in theaters. It got so quiet. You could hear people crunching on their popcorn, sloshing around their drinks. You'd hear the rumble from down the hall because your theater is so quiet but it added to the enjoyment of this movie and it made it feel like an experience and the second one was really much of the same you got the same kind of story just a continuation of what is happening with the family but nothing really stood out and made that movie different so I think a prequel is where you needed to go to continue to have life in this franchise, but I do think some issues pop up with it. But before I get into more what I think about A Quiet Place Day One, here's just a little bit of the trailer which just dropped. And of course, since it is A Quiet Place, there's not a whole lot, if any dialogue in the entire trailer. So really what I wanted to showcase here was the fantastic sound design that they decided to feature here. So even more so than the visual appeal of this trailer, it's all in the sound. That's why I wanted to share that clip with you. But what you see in the trailer, it starts off on day 471, which is where the first movie takes place. It clicks up to 472, then goes to day 476, and then it goes all the way back to day one, whenever the monsters first appeared on Earth. What you see throughout the trailer is people... In a city, running around from these monsters, they are jumping on buildings, people are flooding the streets, and you see our main character, played by Lupita Nyong'o, kind of get knocked down by one of these monsters, and then wakes up, wants to scream, but then somebody grabs her mouth, making sure that she is quiet so they can remain undetected from the monsters, and it doesn't feel entirely different from part one or part two. If anything, it kind of feels a little bit less than And here's my issue with the prequel to this movie. I think it's almost better not knowing how these monsters got here, not having all the questions answered, because that's what adds to the mystery of this story. Just knowing it from flashbacks gives it way more mystery and way more appeal to me than telling me here's the definite origin story of how these monsters got here. And really taking out any kind of curiosity you had going into these films, now you know the story. And by releasing this movie, it's establishing their definite origin story. The problem I think that that creates, if we end up not enjoying this origin story, it loses all of the magic. And I know they have plans to make A Quiet Place 3 possibly coming out next year or the following year. If this origin story is lame, it's going to make all the sequential stories that they could build on here feel unworthy of our attention. And more importantly, unworthy of our money. The trailer here also reminds me of Cloverfield, which was a fun movie back when it came out. And if maybe the lost footage type movie was still trendy right now, I almost think a treatment like this would have a much more of an impact on A Quiet Place. This movie has a little bit of a different stylistic feel because John Krasinski, who has directed one and two and written them, is not directing this movie. He is a writer on the film, but we have director Michael Cernoski, who also did a movie I really liked with Nick Cage called Pig. So we're gonna have an entirely different look at these characters. The problem I had after watching this trailer, it reminded me of a movie that came out last year called Bird Box Barcelona, which was inside of the Bird Box franchise in that same world, but instead of taking place in the United States, it was the same situation happening over in Barcelona. And that movie just did not hit with me. It was so boring. I didn't finish it, therefore did not review it on the podcast. And I worry that this movie is going to feel a lot like that, of still being in that A Quiet Place world with the same monsters, but introducing these new characters and having a hard time getting off the ground. Even though I really like Lupita Nyong'o, who was in Black Panther. She was also fantastic in Us. She is really great in horror movies, and I think it's fantastic that she gets to lead this movie. It also has Joseph Quinn, who played Eddie Munson on the fourth season of Stranger Things. I love the fourth season of Stranger Things. I feel like a lot of people checked out of that show. But man, the fourth season was one of the best seasons of any show I've seen in the last five years. Hopefully, we do get that soon. But he was great. I feel like the breakout star as Eddie Munson. So, curious to see how big of a role he actually plays in this movie. So, this is one I'm not completely writing off yet, but I have a little bit of hesitation going into this one, given my history with prequels, especially in the horror genre. Where I feel like just keep making the next installment of the story rather than going back and trying to flesh out all these details to be like, ah, this is why things are the way they are in the world now. Because once you reveal the monster's origin story, I feel like it loses that appeal. Going back to what I was saying about Cloverfield, the great thing about that movie is not only did you not know why the monster was there, You hardly even got a glimpse at the monster. The less you show of it, the more scary it seems, but it seems like this one is just going to give you a lot of monster action. So the challenge will be, can they create that same tension that the first movie had of being so quiet, of you anticipating the monster coming out, or is it going to feel more like a post-apocalyptic, total end-of-world type movie, which to me, doesn't feel like an A Quiet Place movie. But nonetheless, this movie is coming out this summer on June 28th.
1: And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park.
0: And that is gonna do it for another episode here of the podcast, but before I go, I gotta give my listeners shout out of the week. You know how to get one of these. You send me a DM on Instagram, you comment on my Facebook page, Or comment on TikTok at Mike DiStro over there if you forget any of that. It is always in the episode notes. But this week, one of my favorite things to do is to see people who tag me in their Instagram story. So this week's listener shout-out of the week is Scrapaholic, who tagged me in her Instagram story and posted my review of Argyle and said, Mike Distro doesn't usually go this hard in his movie reviews, but this review is hilarious. So thank you, Scrapaholic, for that comment and for sharing my reel and your story. That helps your friends see it, helps get more people into the podcast. So I do post a reel once a week. So to anyone else in the movie crew, that is an easy way to get a listener shout out of the week. I stand by the fact that I did not enjoy Argyle whatsoever. And when I sat down to record that review, I wanted to give my honest thoughts and Just let it flow out of me. And that clip is a perfect example of how I felt about that entire movie. So if you missed that episode, go back one in the feed, or you can always check out clips on my socials. And until next time, go out and watch good movies, and I will talk to you later.
1: Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss in the land of saints and sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors in the land of saints and sinners from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital rated R.
2: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks,